Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Hear the word of God. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has, already, it has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this past week, I finally got around to watching that Barbie movie. It's really good. Some of you encouraged me to see it. It's really good. You should watch it. It pairs well with Ecclesiastes. Without spoiling too much, the movie opens in Barbie land where everything is uh, perfect and tidy and clean and very pink. But then one day Barbie wakes up and things aren't perfect. She has morning breath, she discovers. And she burns her waffle. And she discovers for the first time that her feet are flat and that high heels are like extremely uncomfortable. And worst of all, she's troubled by irrepressible thoughts of death. So this leads her on a journey out of Barbie land and into the real world where she begins to see for the very first time what it means to be human. She looks around and she sees beautiful things and terrible things. She sees people laughing and crying. She, she sees like deep relational connection but also profound relational brokenness. And she realizes that all of her ideas of what it means to be human have been wrong. Being human is both more wonderful and more terrible than she imagined. And so for the first time ever, uh, she's sitting on this park bench and just a single tear rolls down her eye, well, it rolls down her cheek. She says, she says, the real world isn't what I thought it was. And Ecclesiastes, in a way, is inviting us to an experience like that. Uh, to come out of our dreamlands, our imaginary visions of the world, and to wake up to the world as it actually is. Not the world as we want it to be, not the world as we dream it should be, not the world as we might arrange it in our systematic theologies, but as it actually is. And what is our world? Well, our world is like this beautiful, terrible thing. Uh, it is a tragic, sacred thing. Our world is full of kindness, you know this, but it's also full of cruelty. It's full of noble virtue and unspeakable evil. 
of admirable, admirable heroism and shocking injustice, of, of overwhelming joy, but also of shattering sorrow. I mean, this is a world um, full of breathtaking beauty and also heartbreaking brokenness. Uh, and it's this like beautiful, befuddling world that we've got. Like, Christian or not, no matter who you are, you face the challenge of being a human being in this world. So that's one thing that we all have in common. We have to figure out what it means to live wisely and to live well in the world as it actually is. And the author of Ecclesiastes wants to help us with this. He wants to help us with this. Uh, so he gives us this long poetic meditation on what it means to be human in a world that is both created good by God, but also at the exact same time, a world that has fallen into ruin and is now full of pain and confusion and suffering and doubt. The author wants to help us, but it might not always feel like help. It might feel sometimes like a punch in the gut or like a plunge into a glacial lake. The key wants to shock us out of our pat answers and our superficial sentimentalities. He wants to poke us and to prod us, to rethink assumptions and to forsake our easy answers. Like, he wants us to stop living in Barbie land. Well, none of this sounds very fun, you might think. I mean, Monday through Saturday is, is hard enough, right? Like, you already know about morning breath, and you've had plenty of burnt waffles, and, and so you might wonder, like, why devote time for, uh, like, each Sunday, uh, week after week, for the better part of the fall, looking at this ancient text? Why do this? Well, a few reasons. Here's one. Um, Ecclesiastes, way back then, uh, but also today, is asking some of the biggest, hardest questions that can be asked, like questions that we're still asking uh, today, questions that lie at the heart of what it means to live in this beautiful, befuddling world. Like, like um, what do you really want in life? What is worth wanting in life? Does life have a purpose? Um, why is there so much suffering and injustice? Why does, why does life so often feel so unfair? Is life really worth living? Is God really there? And if so, does God really care? These are human questions. These are questions that you ask. These are questions that your neighbors ask. These are questions that your friends and family ask. These are human questions. So, so that's one of the reasons that it's worth looking at this book. Here's another. Ecclesiastes helps us to stay honest as we seek answers to these questions. You know, typically, religious people aren't very comfortable with unanswered questions. And so the temptation is to latch on to pat answers that are um, superficially and initially maybe satisfying, or they feel satisfying, but, but they turn out to be um, just profoundly untrue. But we latch on to them. And Ecclesiastes doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't do that. I mean, it is brutally honest. It's, it's, um, it's, uh, it's way more um, honest in its answers to the questions than we might be comfortable with. Uh, it's reported that the great reformer Martin Luther said we should read Ecclesiastes every day. <laughs> every day precisely 
because it so firmly rejects sentimental religiosity. I don't know about every day, but at least for, at least for the fall of one year, we can look at this book together. So, so how does it do this? How does it so, um, so firmly reject sentimental religiosity? Right away in verse one, the writer of Ecclesiastes introduces us to the book's main character, uh, Kohelet. Kohelet, that's what it says in Hebrew. Our translation says, the, the preacher, some translations say the teacher. No one, it turns out, really knows exactly what this word means, but it's probably something like one who gathers together an assembly of people. And so preacher or teacher makes sense. Like we might think of Kohelet as like this philosophy professor and uh, not a very cheerful one. <laughs> uh, if, he's, if he's not scowling, he's smirking. And so he's got, you know, he's got the, the corduroy jacket with the elbow patches and... Uh, of course, he's smoking a pipe, and I'm just going to refer to him as Kohelet because it sounds cool. So, so get used to that name. By the way, if you want to know how to spell Kohelet, it's Q-O, there's no U, it's just Q-O-H-E-L-E-T, Kohelet. There it is. That's how you would uh, bring it over from Hebrew into English. So right here in the beginning of Ecclesiastes, the author introduces us to Kohelet, and he gives us a little teaser in our passage of what we can expect to hear from this uh, um, scowling philosophy professor. And we're going to look at it more in, in just a minute, but already you can see, and you heard it as we read it, that like this is extreme, and this is discomforting. Um, like Kohelet is going to go where church people usually don't want to go, where we're uncomfortable going. Like, you think you have good, hard questions about life. Or, or, or maybe you think that this trend that's going around, um, especially on social media, of like deconstructing faith is a new thing. Well, uh, Kohelet smirks. Uh, he sees your questions, he sees your deconstruction, and then he just puts you all in. Like he holds nothing back. He wants us to face the brutal, baffling truth of human experience, like the futility of work, the relentless march of time, the vacuity of pleasure, the inevitability of death. And, and so like, he's just gonna lay it on and he's not gonna back off. And so, are you ready for this? Next two, next two months, here we go. Um, you might find yourself from time to time disagreeing with some of Kohelet's conclusions, but you won't be able to fault him for shying away from the hard questions because he just doesn't shy away from the hard questions. He goes way farther than we feel comfortable going with his questioning, and with his doubts, and even with his despair. And so the author of Ecclesiastes, he wants us to wrestle with Kohelet because he knows that doing so, wrestling with this guy, is going to force us to face um, the hardest things that life has uh, to offer. It's only by facing these things head on that we will become wise, and that we'll be able to navigate lives uh, with wisdom. So helps us to ask the hard questions. It helps us to answer the hard questions uh, in an honest way. And then third, in all of that, it helps us to get clearer on what life is really about. I mean, what is worth living for, really? What is worth living for? Uh, what are you living for? How often do you ask yourself that? What are you living for? Like wealth? Career success? Social status, sex, ambition, adventure, pleasure. 
See, the author of Ecclesiastes says, let me introduce you to my friend Kohelet. He's the guy over there operating the crane with the big wrecking ball. He's fun at parties. And at the same time, like if you'll let Ecclesiastes wreck you, I think you'll find that there is, um, there is profound hope in this book. It doesn't shine nearly as brightly as we might want it to. Sometimes it's buried beneath the rubble, but it is there, and we'll see it especially as we near the end. So the author's main goal in having us journey with Kohela is to show us how to keep living well and how to keep going, even when we're suffering, even when we're struggling, even when we don't have the answers to our questions, even when we can't see clearly the way forward, uh, even when our hearts are full of all kinds of doubt and despair. In other words, the author wants us to know how to live wisely and well in the world as it actually is, this world. So uh, all that by way of introduction, let's now jump in or let's be pushed in. Uh, in verse two, we get the main message of the book. This is, this is the main theme and it's one that will come up again and again. And what is it? Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Do you know what the word all means there? It just means all. Yeah. It, just means, it just means all. Like everything is vanity. Uh, the Hebrew word is hebel. We should, we should all say that. Hebel. H-E-B-E-L. Hebel. It literally means vapor or smoke. If you look at the front of your bulletin, there it is. There it is. Vapor. Smoke. Um, it's a word that appears 38 times in the book. It becomes this metaphor for all of life. Think about smoke. It's, uh, it's constantly shifting and, and changing shape. It looks solid, but if you try to grasp it, what happens? It, like, it slips through your fingers. It's not predictable. Like when you're in the middle of it, in the midst of it, uh, you can't see clearly. And the author is saying life is like that. It's hebel, which is to say it's confusing, and it's confounding, and it's frustrating, and it's baffling. It is a downright enigma. Some translations say everything is meaningless. Others say it's absurd. It's all absurd. I mean, think about it. There is this good and beautiful world that you love and enjoy. And there is this uh, befuddling, broken world that like, none of us hardly understands at all. And those worlds are one in the same world. Um, this is the world we live in, this beautiful, terrible thing, this tragic, sacred thing. And it's all Hebel. It is a downright enigma. Life is unpredictable, and it's unstable, and it's pretty much impossible to understand. Vanity of vanities. Why is he saying this? He's provoking us, yes, the author is, but he's also inviting us to join Kohelet on a journey. Uh, like he, he wants us to come alongside this guy and to peer over his shoulder as he tries to figure out how to find meaning and purpose in a confusing world like ours. And so in verse 3, we get this question that will become kind of a guiding question throughout the whole book. 
what does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? In other words, like, um, what does everything that we do as human beings amount to? Like, what's the point of it? What's the payoff? Now, we already know what Kohelet's conclusion is. Uh, it's all hubble. You see, he's not a gentle teacher. He prof he's profoundly unsettling and disorienting. Like, it's the first day of swim class, and what does he do? He just comes up behind us and shoves us into the deep end. Vanity of vanities. Now, let's pause here. Because some of you might be thinking, this whole Hebel thing can't be right. I mean, surely it's not all vapor and smoke. Life is hard and often confusing, yeah, granted. But entirely, completely Hebel? It can't be that bad. And Kohelet says, wake up and get real. He says, look out your window for a moment and think about it. Verse 4. A generation goes, and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. Um, so, so first, just think about how fleeting your life as a human being is. You get about 4,000 weeks, and that's if you live to be 80 years old. 4,000 weeks. Like, your life is a fraction of a fraction of a blip on the earth's timeline. It's practically over as soon as it begins. Verse 5, the sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. And, and so just think about the image that the author is giving us. Uh, it's, it's the image of the sun um, you know, going across the sky and then, and then setting. And then as soon as it sets, it sprints back to where it started again. And, and in Hebrew, it says, panting for breath. So, so it's, it's this image of exhaustion. The sun is exhausted just so that what? We can do it all over again the very next day. Day after day without end. You remember in Greek mythology, Sisyphus is a man condemned to repeat the same meaningless task over and over again. Um, he rolls this giant boulder up a mountain only as soon as he reaches the top to watch it roll back down all the way to the bottom. So he pushes it back up only to see it roll back down again, over and over again, endless days with no relief. And Kohelet would say, that's, that's about right. That's life in a nutshell. One long repetitive act of weariness and nothing really changes. In verse 6, it's the same boring repetition with the wind, and then it's the same with the streams and rivers in verse 7. Like they just keep flowing and flowing into the sea, and they have nothing to show for it. It's not like the sea is getting any bigger or any better. They're just doing it over and over again in the uh, same old sea. You see, family, it is Hebel. Everything is just going round and around, repeating itself with like slightly different variations, but we've basically seen it all before. And so verse 9, there is nothing new under the sun. To which you might want to say, well, what about my iPhone? <laughs> That's something new, right? And Kohelet just frowns at you because he's not impressed by your imagination. He says, 
think about it. Like, this is just another way to distract yourself from the deep questions. Your iPhone, your iPhone, please. Like, it's another diversion. It changes nothing. Think, uh, having a supercomputer in your pocket, what good has it done you? Like, it hasn't, hasn't improved your relationships with your family, with your kids, hasn't rid the world of injustice, hasn't transformed your selfish heart. And your iPhone is hebbled just along with everything else. All right. So you say, okay, this does sound a lot like Hebel. Kohelet leans back in his armchair and he puffs his pipe and he nods with approval. See, he, he says, like, the very fabric of creation is proving my point. It all boils down to, like, this sweaty guy running real hard on a treadmill and going nowhere. It's all absurd. But you, you, you still have one objection. You, you might think, even if my life is relatively short, it still feels significant. Like I'm doing important work, and I'm getting stuff done, and I'm making a difference, and that can't be Hubble, right? Like that's got to count for something. And so Kohelet listens, and he relights his pipe, and he gazes at the embers in the fireplace. And then he looks into your innocent, hopeful eyes. And he declares, verse 11, there is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. Let it sink in. Nothing about who you are or what you've accomplished will be remembered. Uh, this might be the ultimate absurdity that every one of us will die and be forgotten. Like, your great-great-grandparents probably thought that their lives were uh, really significant, but raise your hand if you know their names. Yeah, like, one, one. And do you know their parents' names? No. So, like, oh, two. <laughs> We've got two. Yeah, and, and that's about what I expected. Um, it's like... We don't even know their names. We don't know what they cared about. We don't know what they loved. We don't know like what their hobbies were, how they spent their time. We don't know what their employment was, what their vocations were. I mean, maybe a couple of us do. But then that's just one generation better than the rest of us in the room. It's like these people were literally responsible in some way for our existence. And we have no idea who they were. Can't even call their faces to mind. <laughs> They're just forgotten. And you see, Kohelet's point is that you will be too. And so will I. And pretty quickly, all things considered. You see this family. Um, Kohelet pulls no punches. Vanity of vanities. Everything. Everything is vapor. I mean, it's, it's fleeting. It's, it's tiring. It's wearisome. It's old. It's, you know, time is marching on. Death is on the way. It's all Hebel. So uh, you might want to rethink your church attendance for the next couple of months. <laughs> but welcome, welcome to the wonderful world of Ecclesiastes. For now, for now, where does this leave us? Where does this leave us? 
Well, one thing to say is, is remember that the author's goal in having us journey with Kohelet is, is precisely to make us uncomfortable, to unsettle us. He wants us to wake up and to get real. Why? Because um, he, wants us, he wants us to live well and to live wisely in the world as it actually is. Not in Barbie land, but in, in the real world. And, and so there is an invitation for us to see the truth, that this world really is um, a good and yet terribly broken world. Like, you really are a person uh, created in the image of God, and at the same time, you are fallen and finite and frail, and there is, like, nothing that is really in your control. And so will we wake up? There's an invitation to stop pretending. Like, there's an invitation to stop pretending that, that uh, maybe if we just change jobs or just stick to some kind of churchy rule book or raise up really impressive kids or become super successful in our work, then we'll be satisfied and significant. There's, there's an invitation to stop pretending that if you moved to a new house, you'd be happier and the grass would actually be greener and you'd never ever want to move again. To stop pretending that if you um, were only married or married to someone else or not married at all, well then uh, you'd finally be content. To stop pretending that if you just had a little more money, just a little more, then it would finally be enough. Or, or to stop pretending that if you just get through this week's pile of like dirty laundry and dirty dishes and the shopping list and the kids' activities, well, next week will be a little calmer, a little less hectic. Stop pretending that there is this mythical place where you finally arrive and you no longer just have to wrestle with the mess of this beautiful, befuddling world. See, by always going after something we think will bring us meaning and purpose, purpose and happiness and satisfaction, um, the author wants, to, wants us to see that we miss the lives that we actually have. These beautiful, uh, confounding lives. And so Ecclesiastes is inviting us to just embrace the mess of what it means to be a human being and to live a humble um, God-trusting, grateful life right here, right now, in all the middle of the hevel, in the middle of all the hevel. So we can take that with us this week, that there's this invitation to stop pretending, to come out of Barbie land, to open our eyes to the real world as it actually is. And there's also a greater hope. And I'll just gesture at it this morning, and we'll dig into it more in weeks to come. But, I mean, you're already seeing it, right? Like, Ecclesiastes is a really hard book. It's a really hard book. And it, it's hard for a couple of reasons. I mean, for one thing, and we'll see this more as we get into it, like, there are all kinds of uh, incredible tensions within the book itself. But also, um, but also, there are all kinds of tensions between Ecclesiastes and like pretty much every other book in the Bible. Um, Kohelet's view really is a minority report. It's a, it's a kind of counter-testimony. Like we might be surprised that this book is even included in the Bible in the first place, but I love that it is. 
I really do love that it is because it reminds me that God is okay with our wrestling and with our questions and with our doubts and even with um, despair. Like, we will see Kohelet come to a place uh, again and again of like profound despair and God chooses to include this in the canon of scripture. Um, he does not, God does not need us to be people who always have quick answers to really hard questions, uh, answers that sound really faithful and super pious. God just does not need that from us. He doesn't need us to be people with quick, faithful, pious-sounding answers. In fact, God might really want to mess with our theologies. He might want to dislodge us from the comfortable corners of the Christian world where we have been camping out for so long. And so Ecclesiastes reminds us that being in a place of struggle, being in a place of despair, even being in a place of like severe disorientation is actually normal. It's normal. It's a part of being a human being in a world that is just a mess. So it's okay. And, and, and God says, yeah, I want this book in the Bible. And so I'm glad that we have Ecclesiastes in the Bible. And I'm also glad that we have more than Ecclesiastes in the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> what we'll need to remember as we go through this, this book together is that it's true. It is true, but it's not the whole truth. And what I'll try to remember each week is that uh, my calling in, in this time of uh, sermonizing is not to preach, at the end of the day, the wisdom of Kohelet, but to preach Jesus Christ. So I'll try to do that here just from what we get. Uh, you know, there is nothing new under the sun, according to Kohelet, and that's true enough as far as it goes, but... Um, we have to remember that what Kohelet wasn't in a position to see, wasn't even really in a position to imagine, is that one day, uh, the one who created this beautiful, befuddling world uh, would enter into it himself. Uh, and that is something new. I mean, utterly new. And what Kohelet, the son of David, couldn't have guessed is that one day, a truer son of David would arrive, and, and this truer son of David would literally toil under the sun alongside us, like with us. He would enter into the hebel, the vanity of vanities, and, and he, would, uh, he would take it on to himself and take it into himself. He wouldn't float above the absurdity of life, the, the just utterly baffling circumstances of life in the real world, but he would enter into the conditions of the Hebel with us. Really with us. Kohelet will remind us again and again that death is the great equalizer. That it will be the end of you and me, and we will all be forgotten. Um, but what he didn't anticipate, and what he couldn't have really anticipated, uh, is that Jesus would see the absurdity of death and he wouldn't run from it. 
but he would actually uh, embrace it and he would submit himself to it. Even the most absurd death of all, like the crucifixion of the Son of God on the cross. Kohelet couldn't have imagined that somehow, somehow in a way that you and I really can't understand, um, in the death of Jesus, death itself would be undone. And that's something new. That is something new. And we remember it, don't we? Uh, we remember it week after week. Generations come and generations go, but the church, so far at least, has been remembering this generation after generation through the centuries. Everyone will be forgotten, Kohelet says. And he's mostly right. He's mostly right. Like, I expect that I'll be forgotten pretty quickly. You know, um, I forget most of my sermons by Monday afternoon. And I know that you forget them probably uh, by Sunday afternoon. Uh, and and so, so I'll be forgotten. Uh, you will too. You'll be forgotten. But Jesus is at, is at about 2,000 years of non-forgottenness. And he's still going strong. And, and somehow, family, he is your life. Like, Kohelet could not have imagined being united to the resurrected Christ. But that is your reality. Like, Jesus is the truest thing about you. Ecclesiastes is true, but family, it's not the whole truth. There's not a single struggle, confusion, despair, doubt that is alien to God um, because he has experienced them all as Jesus. And he has overcome them all in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. And so in the midst of all the hebel, this vanity of vanities, um, I urge you to remember Jesus Christ. As you make your way through this beautiful, befuddling world, I urge you to believe the gospel.